I wouldn't sort of I don't think I appear to be like that but I've, I've always sort of thought to myself or I've grown to accept that outside a part of me is probably the, the thing that drives my ambition most you know in the late years I've kind of probably become more affected by the business side of what I do I perhaps participate in it more but prior to that the money wasn't the important thing I think it was it was a need for some kind of uh, validation I talk about style and not fashion. Fashion is the industrial kind of realm, whereas style, I think, is everything that, that you know, if, if people aren't brought up in that environment, if they're not sort of um, there because it, it's been part of their upbringing, I think it's because they have an interest in, in style and, and that, in a sort of broader sense, is just how people express themselves. And I think, I don't want to sort of start flag-waving, but I think in Britain at a certain point in time, that's all we had, it's what we had as teenagers. 
can't speak for teens now. I think maybe it matters less to distinguish yourself in the way you dress. The, the tribes don't seem to kind of matter anymore. But when I was growing up, that's, that was really something that, um, it was very potent. And, and I think that just kind of transferred into kind of, you know, the kind of image making I did. But what is an outsider, I couldn't necessarily off the bat just define what the, uh, that, that group of people is. There's something about wanting to, to fit and not feeling that you fit is, is a slightly confused uh, experience. I mean, even if I want to leave that sort of influence behind, it still keeps coming back. There's a fondness for it, which sometimes is, it sort of embarrasses me a little bit because it's so, it's so persistent. And I would like to think that I can move on and find kind of new inspiration and different horizons, but it's not to be. I've been particularly impressed when I was 16 from what I'd seen of the American photographers, and in particular Larry Clark. And I think, you know, I'm kind of embarrassed saying that now because I, I didn't, I was so little of what he was photographing, I, I didn't particularly understand. It wasn't familiar to me. I wasn't involved in a scene like that. But I respected him, first of all, you know, for being able to take those, make those kind of images. Now he's sort of eschewed a little bit, really. There was a kind of a desire in me to kind of make something raw, and I suppose, you know, what people would say now is a sort of rock and roll spirit, I guess. That insouciance means that you're free, you're not perhaps so aware of some of the, you know, sort of, uh, I, I guess, yeah. I mean, the thing is, I also wish that when I was younger, I wasn't so uptight and I'd done more than I did. I sort of look back on that time and think, I should have just gotten on with doing more. That would always be my encouragement to someone in their 20s or even younger who's sort of wanting to, to be creative is just, just go with your instincts. I tended to critique it that much. in youth culture get older, youth culture becomes more of a focus for people as they get older. So you don't lose your interest in youth culture. I think it's really interesting that designers now in their 40s and 50s are still interested in youth culture, whereas in previous decades it might be that you become more grown up when you were grown up. Whereas for Eddie, 
Baraf, Buricotta Tissue, they still look at what they were when they were young. It's allowed for men in their 40s or 50s to keep dressing like they were still young. As you get older, you're more nostalgic about youth, or your idea of youth is maybe a fantasy, because I guess those designers have got nice lives and nice houses and nice things happen to them. Whereas if you're a young kid starting out, then you've got nothing and you look like that because that's how you look to survive and that's how you look because of your circumstances. I think it can be the case that designers create a world. I think it can also be a case that they're recreating their own worlds in the best fashion that's connected with youth. I see. To me, it's a reality. It's not about fantasy. It's a reality, and it's a reality of how things should be. Why should it be the case that as you get older, you wear a suit? Why should it be the case that you adopt the forms from past decades, which are now irrelevant? The articulation is incredible, it's a feat of design and it has nothing to do with my life, so therefore why should I wear it? And I think it's about connecting to a contemporary. But I suppose what we see as contemporary, that is called youth, but actually it's not necessarily youth, it's just contemporary. I want to wear track pants because it's the easiest thing to wear and they're really comfy and I love wearing them. And I don't see why I should have a, a buttoned, tailored pant. So actually it's less like drag because it's it's just a, it's just some things that I put on um, that make sense to me. Um, I do think there is definitely a thing about um, youth as drag. The, one of the cleverest things about many labels is that they sell an idea of youth to men in their 50s who've got money. I think it's very different, it's interesting, isn't it? Because the female body has always been objectified in fashion. And, I mean, it's the same in men, is that at the men's shows we have like 18 year old boys dressed up in a suit pretending they're 30 or 40 or whatever. But the thing is they're dressed up to look like an executive. So it's a different sort of dress up. Whereas in women's wear, it's a 15 year old girl, 16 year old girl in the scantiest thing, showing like too, too much, too, too sexualized and too, too whatever. I think it's a, um, the male gaze is on the female there, isn't it? Whereas in men's wear, the male gaze is on a kind of approval thing or a clubbiness or a buddiness. I think when we as a culture relied on magazines for imagery and the one image was of a wan, pale, skinny boy, then it was problematic. Whereas now no one will buy that magazine in the same way, no one will see it in the same way, no one will consider it in the same way. So it becomes more about people wearing it themselves and their own look, which they then share themselves and whoever sees it, whoever sees it. Saint Laurent is selling an idea of youth to older people. Gosher is connecting with people his age and younger and youth isn't being corrupted in that way like it's fertile ground for both the interesting thing about about youth is how terrifying it is for people it's actually not an easy thing at all you say these words like effortlessness and that luxury loves youth is actually really dangerous for them and very difficult for them because young people can be scary and can be scary for a luxury customer
which is what makes it so interesting when it's done well because people kind of tap into something that's very potent and very subconscious and connected with something they may not understand. The reality of youth and clothing is that it's a process of individuals and characters forming and finding their own way and it's sometimes gawky and it's sometimes awkward but it's often in reaction to their parents or often in reaction to something and it causes very interesting things to happen and it might be that that person very quickly conforms and moves away from that or it might be they then take it on and keep going and always dress in that certain way but youth is interesting in terms of clothing just because it's kind of first attempts at expression and and also it's got a kind of um, gleefulness and a weirdness and an awkwardness that I think then people as they get older sometimes miss. Yeah, when I was a kid, all you wanted to do was play with your friends. And then when you got a bit older, I didn't know anything about fashion really until, I don't know, four, 13, 14. When you think about what I used to wear, it wasn't like, oh, I really want to look like this. It was just, I kind of just wanted to look like my brother, I suppose. Because I had an older brother, so I'd always want to wear what he was wearing. So then, yeah, it was, and even then it wasn't like, there was like Versace or there was like Moschino, that was like fashion. You son around, YSL shirts was like fashion. Maybe like you knew about Stone Island, and it was like 501 jeans, a Ben Sherman shirt. Like that was fashion for me. I didn't know anything about like Dior or like, yeah, Galliano or like Balenciaga or nothing. I didn't have a clue. It was from like your elders. And there, there was uniforms in as well, like, a smart look was when you're like 14 or 15 because you've got no money was like a fresh pair of Reebok classics 501 jeans and a, your, my brother's like YSL shirt or a Ben like literally the one Ben Sherman shirt that you like might have got for a wedding everyone around you wore tracksuits everyone around you like kind of looked the same everyone listened to the same music because it was in London as well so like you, know, you grew up in an area when you, where we went to primary school with the same people you went to 
junior school with the same people and then you went to secondary school with the same people. Like you grew up with people for a very long time so I think it probably would have been even harder for, to break, break out from that. I think it's kind of intimidating as well because actually like what we're doing is in a big way taking over is not the right the right saying but it's having a massive impact on on the industry on sales on people's direction like on, on what you see big brands now doing this like street where they and this you know that wasn't happening before all of a sudden things are shifting and I think a lot of people don't really know what they're doing like don't know what's happening that's why you see a lot of people all of a sudden start doing those like branded tapes or like logos everywhere because they think that oh, that's that's sports but it's like personally it's not about just a sports thing. Something for your mind, your body and your soul. I guess I wanted to sort of, in some way, protest or rebel or go against the sort of liberal upbringing I'd had. I think you always go against whatever upbringing you have, you want to rebel against it. Um, and I had a very open-minded, very broad-minded um, upbringing. And I went towards Scandinavian partly because I liked, I've always liked a particular sort of girl. I always liked girls from the Estates. So I always liked quite hard-working class girls as a sort of um, natural, sort of, I was drawn to girls like that. Dressed like they come and mum and dad told them to do it with all Stop. I came into it as a you know, educated or semi educated uh, white middle class boy, uh, whereas most of them have been some uneducated working class boys. But it's always a sort of love of, I think, sort of class tourism where you know people even want to be working class when they're middle class or they'll be upper class and middle class. The middle classes in Britain tend to want to be anything other than middle class, so they even sort of elevate themselves by going towards the upper classes. And well, I did the opposite and went towards the working class, which is also very common.
so there was a bit of um, sort of rites of passage, finding out who you are. So putting yourself in situations which tested you. People don't really have rites of passage anymore. There's no drift from childhood to adulthood without any sort of test or or any sort of barrier or not barrier, but you know, there's no testing. But there's no rites of passage. Uh, whereas before there would be, you can do your military service and you know, all that sort of stuff. So um, it was a sort of rites of passage for me. I wanted to find out what sort of person I was. Um, so I put myself quite deliberately in situations which were quite difficult, um, just to see how I'd react. I remember I had a huge crush on my next door neighbour, I was called Penny. Um, and she was so just a little skinny and salt, which is an so skinny girl. But I remember her walking to the local um, disco, um, which was in a sort of village hall, you know, and she had a kind of you know, box of town and Motown kind of crazy hits, and you know, had her loafers on and uh, sheepskin and everything else, and we just think, oh, she's gorgeous, I love her. I remember taking my arm and thinking, oh, yeah, it's kind of one of those, I was probably about 12. So I remember, you know, she was 14. So I remember thinking, oh, this is, yeah. And it, you sort of fall in love, you fall in love with that, as much as you know, the look and kind of, you know, so early sexual, um, Experiences are always very formative and stay with you for a long time, so I think it comes from that. And then I remember my brothers, my brother's three years older than me, his friends, you know, were just really sharp. I know they were, a lot of them were quite difficult, but they were very sharply dressed in the sort of pocket handkerchiefs which I still wear. Um, and I just remember the tonics and all, all of a sudden riding on scooters and that sort of thing. You know, it just became a thing, you know, it was like things that people did who you admired or you fancied. So it was a kind of, you know, it, it's, it kept that for me and it still has, weirdly. It still has sort of kept that for me. So often look at the way I dress now, it's just a watering down or a version of, you know, still basically the same thing that I would have worn then. But just, you know, now it's done by Google or, you know, Trickers or whatever it is. And it was a bit like um, Larry Clark's Tulsa, that it was a view from the inside, not a view from the outside. So I didn't sort of go in there um, as an outsider, I went in as, you know, as one of, one of as a skinhead. And the sort of funny thing is that there's a, there's, a, there's a psychology to being in a gang, which means you reject everything and you find members of, of you know, a similar mind and then you bond very closely even if you don't know them. So you've got the same dress code, which is a very notable dress code, you quickly become you know, re-repped in the same thing. So it's a bit sort of, you know, one for all for one. And I remember when I first really started dressing as a skinhead, because um, I dressed that way for quite a while, and I had like medium length hair, and I shaved it off. Um, and that's what got me banned from my pub, from my supermarket, from my cinema, from everywhere. So you suddenly you're in like, you're an outcast, 
and when you're an outcast, you find other outcasts who do it the same. And that's a very strong and very cohesive dynamic. It was the 1980s, and the first kind of youth pop music I got into where you could actually wear the style was, was hip-hop. It was kind of early hip-hop. I had some pretty good styles going on. Back in 1983, I had a piece of cardboard outside uh, Wimbledon tube station. Used to give it some of that. I was urban, I was heavily urban. Um, dance music culture happens. That was the moment that I, uh, I was kind of, you know, 17 or 16 or something when Acid House and all that happened, um, which was kind of slightly anti-fashion movement, but it's later developed and I, I mean, I wore all sorts of stupid things like everyone does when they're 17. There certainly wasn't any, um, what's the, I'm looking for the word, there wasn't anything, uh, there was no shame attached to, to being a man, heterosexual man who really loved style, really loved clothes and spent loads, all, all his money on clothes, you know, I didn't have much else to spend our money on, but, but that's what we spent our money on. You know, we went, we went shopping. I think there's a danger of understanding and seeing males as uh, it feeds coat hangers. And I think there's a danger there. I never looked specifically good when I was young, and I think that, you know, I'm a better man than I ever was a boy, for instance. 
I think that it's a path that would just that essentially leads to self-destruction and to self-hatred. You know, it's quite simple. Uh, which is potentially the most unappealing thing that uh, they can be around. I think that people who like to think as destructive forces as attractive are really fooling themselves. Uh, I think it's a very beautiful concept in literature. I think it's a very, it makes for a beautiful image. I think the reality of it is actually really gross. For example, there is like a visualization of like what I call the crying Tumblr boy, for instance this sort of, uh, or the Saint Laurent boy, or like the general sort of representation of male, of the boy, sorry, as being this sort of like, you know, slightly pained, slightly self-destructive, uh, all the adolescents that, you know, likes to self-harm or uh, that likes to be in pain. I mean, I think that adolescent pain is something that's always been around, is something that is charming, but it's not something that I think is uh, necessarily attractive. became uh, gradually something that is an aspiration to be in pain, to be a negative, self-harming sissy, do you know what I mean? And to actually sexualize that, I think there's the danger. I mean, I think that, you know, we don't live in a Dennis Cooper world, do you know what I mean? Like, no, we don't, uh, there is beauty in the writing, there is beauty in imagery, as I say, but there is no beauty in the reality of it, and there's no sense, and there's no point in trying to make that imagination a reality. Those people who were the young pretty kids who did well, who had an achievement on the back of being young pretty kids, look where they are now. You know, they're struggling all young pretty kids. That first presentation was about the moment when the youth gets taken away from you, essentially. And the, the moment when you have to conform and become uh, something else. And that only really is it's a warning more than anything else. You know, it's, it's really about sort of, you know, making people aware that it's important to know. The, the answer that young people will always tell you when you tell them to grow, to educate themselves, to la la, it's like, oh, you can only be really be young ones. And I'm just like, yes, of course you can only be young ones. But 
you will be a grown-up for the majority of your life shall you live long and you will suffer the consequences of your mistakes throughout your adult life. I remember being obsessed with television when I was a kid. And if a film came on that I liked, I'd be excited about a week before. So, I, I, it, Honestly, I was probably more excited about cinema than I was about fashion. But then the two came together because then I was so excited. I, I can still remember what looking at all the girls on the playground, especially when the skinhead period came in where they had the sort of shaved head with the fringe in the back. I just thought that was the most amazing look for all these girls in the town you know. that was a particularly good one and I do remember even as a young kid walking down the street and my mum said when these boys walk past you look the other way so of course I immediately looked you know and it was this kid with green teeth and spiky hair and everything which I just thought was so brilliant I'm kind of I'm a bit of a contradiction in the one sense that I'm very conventional suburban boy and yet part of me wants to see anything that I've never seen before and sort of anything that's testing or pushing or provoking or I'm very excited by that. There's a nostalgia for anything in the past, yeah. That's, that's what I was saying to the editor that was complaining about today versus the 90s. I was like, I think in 20 years time, kids coming into the industry will look back and say, oh, you worked in 2015. That was the last great period of fashion photography because it was the last period of the printed magazine. So, you know what I'm saying? And then 20 years after that, they'll be like, oh, but you worked in 2045. That was amazing, whatever it is, you know what I'm saying? I liked more being the odd new thing than being part of the establishment. Because for me, uh, the main thing is my interest in youth, not in fashion. That's why it's, uh, I understand what you... If I was a fashion designer and I start to use some kids for it, it can be uh, something strange, but 
First of all, I'm always interested uh, in something new, something fresh. That's why I like these kids. And yes, they can be like 25 years old or 13. And But anyway, uh, this person can have some special energy. Some, And then I see, oh, you are part of my world. You need to be sometimes. And that's why. And why young people? Because I... Um, I believe in new generation and I think it's good reason to show these young kids from Russia because they are something, something new. That's why I try to work with them. Young kids, teenagers, they are the same, same like in London or in Tokyo or in Beijing, everywhere. Because now it's new generation because of the internet. And these people, uh, they start to do different things. And I think my mission to show it, and I have the power to show these kids, to show... That's why I think um, what I do is so popular. Because uh, I speak a very international language, but I show some some things, some Russian things, but but now I I know and some and other like young people they know how to um, how to speak to be um, understand. Pop has been the generic given culture to all young people in the Western world, given and shared universally by them. So ever since my teens in, gosh, when was that, the 60s, I have been sharing in a common culture of pop with all the other people of my own age and then with younger people. And that, of course, that has become just increasingly prevalent over the 50 years from the 60s until now. So there's this common grounding, a kind of foundation course in shared popular culture that we all have to some degree or another. And particularly in the UK, because the UK is this tiny test case, like kind of project space. Pop culture is intense in this country. The, we have a very large number of people in a relatively very small space, all sharing, all on the same time zone for most of the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, and the 90s, sharing like one, one or two TV channels, one or two radio channels, a really shared experience. And also in the first language of pop, which is English.
What's really difficult to imagine now in 2015 is a period or a, a socio-cultural moment 50 years ago where the notion of self-realization was foreign to most people. The idea that the idea that you might have somebody in you other than who your parents were is a quite modern contemporary idea. Um, when I was growing up, people still did, for the most part, what was expected of them. And, you know, they had a bit of a kind of rebellious time in their teens, and then they got their hair cut, bought a suit, you know, married a man, whatever, and basically repeated in some way the life that their parents, grandparents, great-grandparents had had before. Maybe just moving along a little bit to a bigger house, a better job, or something, a motor car. It was all very on rails. Life was on rails. So the idea that you might be somebody other than who your parents were was actually still a kind of breaking kind of idea in ordinary homes, you know, 40 and 50 years ago, that there might be something to invent, that you might be gay. I mean, like, nobody wanted to countenance that, that you might want to go and live in a foreign country. This was a strange thing to do. You know, my mother wasn't happy when I just went as far as London. So the notion of finding who we are and doing things that are diff were really different to how we grew up, that is something we totally take for granted now. We are able to come a very, very long way now compared to previous decades. So this notion, and this was the inspiration, the motivation for this, has been delivered in this country by pop, without a doubt. It was not school, it was not family, it was not state that said to me, actually, the horizons are where you want them to be. For your mind, your body, and your soul. easier to make free work when you the less you know the less you're impeded now what's good and what's influential are different things you know I probably would make better work now but it might be less influential because of the context so that freedom that freedom can constitute to something being very in, influential it's not necessarily good
probably in about 1976-77 when, when punk happened and clothes became a sort of part of the deal really. I suppose before that it was, I was very much a spectator. I remember when my first sort of flashlight I suppose entry into this world would, would have been seeing um, David Bowie on Top of the Pops performing Starman in 1972 and like a quarter of the um, population of the country being completely mesmerised because the thing is when people say they saw the Sex Pistols at the screen on the green if you believe everybody you could fill Wembley Stadium with the number of people <laughs> who said they were there but the people who claim to have seen uh, David Bowie on Top of the Pops in the summer of 1972 are probably telling the truth because at that time Top of the Pops was watched by 15 million people which was a quarter of the population. My first forays into fashion were a disaster. In fact, ha uh, having seen that, I thought, I want to be David Bowie. I want to look like David Bowie. So I found, I rang up half a dozen of the sort of unisex hairdressing salons in, uh, in my local town and, uh, and asked if, I could, could, if they could give me a Bowie cut. And of course, none of them knew what I was talking about, but one of them was kind enough to indulge me. Uh, and I went in the following Saturday, um, two days later and asked for this thing and after about 30 seconds the guy just looked at my hair and said because I did have hair in those things he said this is not going to work anyway he cut my hair and I ended up walking out looking like uh, there used to be a pop group called Slade in the 70s with a very gormless looking guitarist called Dave Hill who had hair like that and that's what I ended up looking like when I walked out of this hairdressing salon Thank you. 